As you find your seats, will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark 2. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you'll find the passage in the bulletin and the front flap insert for the outline. You can follow along there. The words will also be on the screen behind me. Good morning. My, my, my. My, my, my. My, my, my. I heard it all last week. A few amens were thrown in there. You preach it, brother. You tell us what that word says. It was awesome. Last week, I was down on Mercy Drive, and this morning, uh, my family and I were remembering probably our favorite was my, my, my. And uh, so last week, it was wonderful. It was immediate feedback. For a Presbyterian, we usually have to wait till at the door, and then usually you're nice to us, and sometimes with email. But it's awesome. And it's kind of startling at times. And, uh, you know, you get going and they get going and it's a wonderful thing. And so I'm going to give you permission uh, if you'd like to give immediate uh, feedback that's positive. (laughs) You know, I was praying. I got to be honest. I was praying, Lord, please, no help from Jesus's. I mean, just blank stares are fine. Just no help from Jesus's, you know. But it was great. As a matter of fact, uh, I got to tell you. I'm sure it's self-serving, but this is the self-serving moment in the sermon. Um, it was fun. My, my, my. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. That was pretty good. Uh, I, I think they're always, um, well, they're like, you can preach. And uh, I think they thought maybe I'd be a teacher, but man, it was great being with them. And I love preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's changed my life. Uh, this service today, we, we started off a little heavy because we wanted to remember what it was like apart from Christ. And we wanted to go before the throne and just be reminded of what Jesus has done. And we're going to end, we're going we're to preach, uh, uh, hear God's word preach, and we're going to go to the table and be fed. We're going to leave here singing an upbeat, enthusiastic song. That's how this whole service is going to flow. But we've got to sometimes remember where we've been. I tell you, where have I been? And this is my first week in three that I'm here in the pulpit. I'm very, very thankful for our missions festival and for Joe Creech and for the committee that did a great job. My heart is always stirred. I'm always reminded that our God's a missional God. Uh, we are called to go because Jesus himself is, is, has called us to go. The Holy Spirit empowers us to go. But I love hearing the stories. And one of the things I love about our family so dearly is, is our partnerships. Our relationships, that Saul Cruz can come here and say, for 20 years we've been laboring together for the poor of Mexico, and I'm so proud of you. So many of you who have gone, and so many of you who have supported others who have gone. And to see Mirti and, and the orphanage uh, uh, represented at Casa Hogar, and so many hours of my life has been spent there, spent there. But there's one story that she shared that I never forget that changes my heart every time I hear it. It's a story of Fernando. I mean, if you know Fernando, and you, if you've gone to Casa Hogar, you'll know Fernando. But if you've gone several times, you'll see an incredible transformation in, in Fernando. Much like what Jesus has done with many of us, is he's transforming us to be more like Jesus. But the story of Fernando begins when they found him tied to a tree. As a young boy who the parents didn't know how to discipline and love and and treat like a human being, let alone a son. There he was, tied to a tree. 
and the love of others would come and, and untie him and bring him to a family. It was an orphanage, but it's the only family he's ever known. It's the gospel. And if we look closely, we realize that Fernando's story and our story probably in a lot of ways are different. But there's some similarities that you and I have been tied down and shackled in life by something called sin. And God had to send someone to come and untie the knot and to bring us into the family. And this morning we're going to talk about a story, an incredible story of of a paralytic being healed. It's a familiar story to many of you. But let's make sure that we put ourselves properly in the story. Oftentimes we're going to hear a story in God's word and, and we are distant from it. I mean, it's a long time ago and and maybe in a place and people we don't understand with customs that are are not natural to us. But if we get the gospel and if we dig deep into God's word, what we need to do is we need to see our face in the story. And there's a couple of places in this story that we might be surprised that God wants us to see our face right there. And we'll actually even see a transformation of where we should be. This is an important story in God's word. How do we know it's important? Well, it's in God's word. I mean, all of God's word is is important. It's all without error. It'll never lead us astray. God has inspired the authors to write it using all their own gifts and abilities, but truly breathing out his very being, his very word. But we know when things are repeated... They're important. Things you say to your children over and over and over again. They're important. Well, this story is given to us in the book of Matthew. It's given to us in the book of Mark. And it's given to us in the book of Luke. Three of the four of the synoptic gospels, all three of them, give us a story. So we know it's important. I'm so thankful for God who will give us the story in little sound bites of each one so we can see the full picture of this incredible story. A beautiful story. But as we read it, it's a familiar story for many of you. Some of you may be new to God's Word and new to church. Uh, we're so glad you're here. Um, but I want to challenge each and every one of you, whether you're a senior saint, have heard this story and read it many times, or maybe you're new. As I read and you read along silently, try to put yourself in the picture. Because there's a crowd in this story, like there's a crowd here. And there are a diverse crowd, like there's a diverse crowd here. And uh, some believed and some didn't. But let's have you find your face in the picture as we read God's word together. I'm going to stop a couple of times as we read. We're going to read Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. When he had come back to Capernaum, Jesus, several days afterward, it was heard that he was home again. Apparently Capernaum being a home ministry base for him. I'm not sure whose home this is. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. He was speaking the word to them. Luke tells us in Luke 5 that not only was he speaking the word to them, he also was healing them. The power of healing was there. That people were being uh, set free from their afflictions and their diseases. So here we get a picture of Jesus' ministry. A crowd had gathered. His reputation is spreading. His fame is spreading. And there are so many people who want to get to Jesus that there's no more room. 
No more room in the house. I mean, the fire marshal at Capernaum would be very disappointed in this scene. Uh, there's no exit a- entries. That's uh, a packed house. We're going to have those who are there uh, for good reasons and those who aren't. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Now, most likely this paralytic was at a place of town where he could be laid down and he could receive a living uh, through begging. And maybe as they laid this paralytic, anywhere he went, he had to be carried. He's on this thing called a pallet or his mat. Maybe your translation is mat or bed. But this is one who is unable, physically unable to, to move himself. Completely dependent on others to move him. Those who love him, maybe family members or friends, would move him to a prime spot where he could earn a living. Um, he could beg. And so when the crowd gathered, when the place to be was where Jesus was, there was no way for him to be there. There was no way that he could have gotten himself there, but because of the love and mercy of four who would each reach down and grab one end of the pallet, he was carried. Being unable to get to him, get to Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. They actually unroofed the roof. Luke will tell us that they removed tiles. I mean, this was no small feat. They had to not just carry him to Jesus, but had to carry him up to the roof. Just picture this man. Picture the coordination of, of effort of having four, making sure that he doesn't spill out any long along the way. Finally getting to the roof, and now they're having to unshingle, untile the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let him down. Again, picture the coordinated effort here. They let him down, um, let the pallet, uh, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And verse 5 is one of the strangest verses that you'll ever read. It's the first time you see it. Again, I, I want to picture this. I mean, here's Jesus. He's got a room full of people. He's teaching and he's healing. And, 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 and the whole crowd is there. And, and in the midst of this, dust starts to fall. In the midst of this, uh, a commotion that probably gets everybody's attention. What's happening? You know those crowded events where you can't quite sure what's happening? And all of a sudden, a little crack in the roof and light peering in and dust and debris that's falling down and a hole that's being opened up and you're looking up and your light, your eyes are adjusting to the light and there is a silhouette. What in the world is happening? Uh, who is this? What is going on? It looks like a person and they're lowering them down. I mean, an amazing scene. And you would imagine that a scene like this, that clearly everyone had their eyes and ears tuned to Jesus. What is he going to do? Unbelievable. Some were there to see what he was going to do, to see if he would fail. Some to see and worship. But Jesus says something amazing. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Seeing their faith. A couple things we've got to talk about. First thing is this, it's important for us to look at this story with all of Scripture. It's how God tells us to interpret Scripture. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. But why does their faith affect Jesus' ministry? How does he see their faith 
and get moved. Now, we could make a bad conclusion of this. We could say, can Jesus look at our faith and all of a sudden heal our children? Forgive our children. Can our faith motivate God to forgive sins? Clearly, Scripture says that individually each one of us has to come to the point in our lives where we acknowledge our need for Jesus. And clearly, their faith, understanding the story in all of Scripture, included the paralytic's faith. He too had faith. Unable to get himself there, but maybe was telling his friends, please take me to Jesus. Take me to the Son of David. Take me to the Son of Man. Take me to the Messiah. Take me. He is the only one who truly can hear me and heal me. But I love the fact that Scripture includes the friend's faith. And I don't know all the nuances here, but what I do know is this, is that God is pleased with our faith in action. He's pleased when he sees his children respond in bringing others to Christ. He saw their faith. And then he says something equally that you might think is a little bit bizarre. He says, your sins are forgiven. I mean, people are like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. Your sins are forgiven? I mean, aren't you going to do some healing here? Um, uh, Aren't you really going to get them up off the mat? But Jesus sees their faith and says, your sins are forgiven. Let me me give you uh, an illustration why he would say this. Maybe you've seen war movies uh, where you'll have a medic come in and he'll assess the damage of the soldiers. And he'll go in and he'll, he'll make a quick assessment. And which ones will he serve the first? Which one will he treat the first? The ones that have the most critical condition. If you go into the ER, the ones who will be immediately rushed in and not have to do any of that paperwork are those who have life and death issues. And really what Jesus is graciously doing is this. He is healing the man of his greatest disease. His greatest disease is not being a broken paralytic. His greatest disease is being a sinner separated from God. And the most gracious thing that Jesus could do for this man is to heal his spiritually dead soul. And then take care of the physical brokenness. See, Jesus is able to see, God's able to see what we can't see. And the reality is, this broken man's greatest need was not that he could stand up. His greatest need was that he could embrace Jesus as Savior. His greatest need was being set free from a rope that held him to a tree, that kept him a part of a family. And that rope is sin. And the only one who could untie it is Jesus And we got to see the beauty of the story as Jesus is is doing something amazing here. And what he is doing is he's dealing with the biggest problem. But this is another point of this, your sins are forgiven, that we got to see. If you'll turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 in verses 1 or 2, the disciples are going to be walking along. And and what they're going to do is they're going to see a man who was born blind. Blind since birth. And a discussion is going to happen where they're going to ask, who sinned caused this? And look at John 9. And he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him a pretty unusual question. But if we put ourselves in the time that this was written, and the understanding 
of the mindset of the people then, it makes a lot of sense. Let's keep going. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he would be born blind? You see, the mindset of the day was, you see a paralytic, someone sinned. Somehow he deserved it. Somehow he must have done something bad in his thought life or in his life or something very bad in his childhood. And God was punishing him on that mat. Or maybe it was his parents. The parents didn't do something right. And they lived in fear that that because of that, God was punishing them with a crippled kid or a blind child. Can you imagine living your life wondering that's God? He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna punish me so much that he's gonna make my son blind, my daughter crippled. But Jesus answered, It was neither that this man has sinned or his parents, but so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now there's something theological that we have to understand with this, and it's this God has made us beautifully, healthy, wonderfully in his own image. Um, we were made to have life and life eternally and life abundantly. But when sin entered the world, when man first was created and he rebelled to his creator God, Adam, when he did sin, death came. Diseases is a result. Brokenness is a result. So there's some truth to who sin is this. I mean, ultimately, we can trend all of our diseases, all of our brokenness, truly can ultimately be tra- traced back to Adam. As we clearly see what Scripture teaches, that in Adam, we have all sinned. In Adam, we have all fallen. And because of that, we have brokenness. There's, there, there's, there's cripples. There's blindness. There's, there's broken things in this world as a result of sin. But not necessarily specific sin. And they said that this was a specific sin. I remember going to Jamaica on a mission trip, going to the uh, Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf. I might have my C's wrong there, but it's CCCD. And an amazing school where they teach uh, these young children sign language. Because if they're born deaf, no way to communicate with their parents, no way to know who they are, who their parents are, that's their life. And like Fernando, one of the boys that was there was chained to a tree. Because they couldn't tell him, don't run out in the street, Don't, don't do this, don't do that. So they can't communicate, and so what they do is they chain him to the tree. But you see, it's a lot worse than this. Do you know why they chain him to the tr- chain him to the tree? Is because they feel shame. They feel shame that somehow God is punishing them for something they did, and it's as part of God's wrath. So let's shun the one who is broken. Okay, put yourself in, in this, this cripple's shoes. He's been shunned all his life. All his life, he's felt like God doesn't like him. All of his life, he's felt like a curse, a burden. All of his life, not only the pain of physical brokenness, but the shame of a community that will look at him and say, sinner. The greatest, most gracious thing our Jesus could do, the loving Messiah, is to look at this man, to look at this man and say, your sins, your shame, your identity, it's forgiven, it's over with. There's a new you. And you are loved. And you are washed. And you are mine. I untied the rope. 
I don't care what a society says about you. To me, beloved. To me, forgiven. To me, set free. My, my, my. Amen of what God has done to us, for us, through His Son. So you look at five. Very unusual. But some of the scribes were sitting there. Um, It says in Luke that the Pharisees were there as well. These are the teachers of the law. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Now you've got to understand, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people, were not there sitting there saying, teach me Jesus, I really want to learn. They're sitting in judgment. They're basically saying, let's watch how he messes up. We want him dead. We don't want to surrender our lives to him. So there you have the scribes and their reasoning in their heart. And their theology is pretty good. Unfortunately, their hearts are stone dead. They reason their heart and they say this in verse 7. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're true. Who can forgive sins? A priest can't forgive sins. A man cannot forgive sins. Ultimately, the only one who is able to forgive sins is the one that we've offended. It's a holy God. And they were right there. But they missed completely that sitting in their midst, standing and teaching in their midst, was God's Son, God Himself. And Jesus uh, immediately aware in His Spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. Why? Because... He is God, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? And i got to tell you the truth, I think it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because no one can really argue that one, can they? Are they forgiven? Is he forgiven? Did it work? I mean, if he says get up and walk, I mean, that's, that, that's either you're walking or you're not. Sometimes authority figures have the ability to pardon. In the last political regime, that was exercised. At the very end of that regime, friends... They were just given pardon. You're excused. I decide to pardon you. It it seemed flippant, didn't it? It seemed kind of easy. It it seemed kind of dirty. But Jesus to say, listen, listen, listen. You've got to lean on to this. This is so good. For Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. He's basically saying, I'm going to a Roman cross. And I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to become the broken paralytic for you. I'm going to become the curse. I'm going to become the one who's an outcast for you. And to say your sins are forgiven is no flippant king just saying, oh, by the way, it doesn't matter. It matters so much that death has to be a consequence for sin. And Jesus was going to pay it. When he says your sins are forgiven, he has Calvary in his eye. And he knows he's going to surrender his very life. What's easier to say? I'm going to carry a cross for you? Or to say, get up and walk and we'll do a magic show. You see, the weight of this, Jesus knew. 
But he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Why? Because he is going to do all of that which man was supposed to do. And because his blood is God's blood will be effective to wash us clean. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went into the sight of everyone so that all were amazed and were glorifying God saying, We've never seen anything like this. I, I told you, where are you in the story? I mean, are you, some of you might be like the scribes and Pharisees. Maybe you're sitting back trying to evaluate who, who is this Jesus? But for those of us, by God's grace, that are his children, the only way we first get understanding of this story is guess who we are? We're the paralytic. We're the paralytic. We're the paralytic that's broken with no hope of being restored unless someone and somehow by God's grace we get to Jesus' feet. We're the paralytic unable to heal ourselves. We're the paralytic that unable to cleanse ourselves. We're the paralytic that's unable to remove the shame. We are the paralytic in the story. The question I want to ask to you today is this. Who carried your pallet to Jesus? Who was it? You know, there's a lot of uh, biblical characters that I can relate to. Many I can't. I love Peter. I relate to Peter. It's my middle name. I love Peter because he really, really loved Jesus. He honestly did. And by God's grace, so do I. He had a zeal, a zeal for Jesus. He was usually the first to speak and the last to think. I relate to that a lot. You know, he walked on water. I mean, he walked on water. He took two steps on water. I mean, he just, unbelievable. Then he sank because he saw the wind. I understand Peter. I also understand Timothy. Timothy was a timid preacher that was afraid. He was a young preacher that had a problem with fear. And Paul had to write him a letter. In 2 Timothy, he writes this letter to this young preacher that he's training, telling him to be bold. And he He says to him in 2 Timothy 1, he says, remember your grandmother and your mother. Remember Lois and Eunice. Remember that in chapter 3 in verses 14 and 15, he says this, remember since infancy they taught you about God's word. And this is beautiful. Listen, Listen to this. He says this, in which you've become convinced of. I don't have a Lois... And I don't have a Eunice. I have a Marjorie. And I have an Esther. This is my grandma's Bible. She's with the Lord now. I recently pulled this out and was reading through it. She was praying for her daughter to be healed. My mom, she was so she could have children. She was praying that my mom would be a soul winner. Oh man, she is. She's amazing. She has my name written in here. When I was born... And the earliest memories is that she would just toss on my hair and she'd say, Jeffrey, I'm praying for you. You'll be a pastor. I'm praying someday you'll be a pastor and a blessing to many. She carried my pallet. Marjorie on her knees every day, calling my name to heaven. She carried my pallet. They carried me to Jesus every day. Who are you carrying? Who carried yours? Was it your mom? Was it a grandmother, a father? 
My dad prayed for me. I mean, the blessings in my life. I mean, my life story is an incredible story that I don't know a day I didn't know Jesus. But I'll tell you this, I sure know I need him. Who was the one that God used in your life to carry you to Jesus? We wanted to spend some time today to just reflect on that and rejoice and be very, very thankful for what God has done. Because unbelievable in this is, listen, there's power in our faith and action. God sees our faith. And he has truly the ability to heal and the ability to forgive sins. Who carried your power to Jesus? And really, the, the story needs to also see our face in those four. I mean, whose palette are you carrying? Whose palette are you carrying? I mean, whose name are you taking to the Father every day saying, God, please, for their soul, please, please heal them? Who's, whose name? Whose family member? What, what, what worker? I mean, there, there's a dear friend of mine that I have the privilege of coaching with, and, and I tell him, you know what? I'm praying for you and your family. I want him to know it because I don't think anybody else is. And, and he hasn't believed yet. And, and maybe he won't. I can't, I, can't, I can't change his heart. Only God can. But I want him to know I'm carrying your pallet. You may not even believe it, but I believe Jesus is the only one who can heal you. And I'm carrying you. I'm, pray, I'm carrying your kids. And I'm carrying your wife. And I'm going to pray. I'm going I'm to pray for you. Whose pallet are we carrying? I mean, we've got to start with our own children. I mean, parents, you've got to start there. It's family. You've got to pick them up, each, each one of them by name, and take them to Jesus every day and say, Lord, please, please be merciful. Our family members, our loved ones that are lost, are we carrying them to Jesus? Let me call your attention uh, to this insert in the bulletin. It looks like a pallet. Thanks to Amy Huber, Huber it does look like a pallet. But I ask you the question, whose pallet are you, are you carrying? And here's, here's the deal today. I, I want each of you to take this out, and I want you to prayerfully consider writing down three names that you're going to commit to pray for. Okay? You carry their pallet in prayer. That's, all, that's, all, that's it. And, and let me challenge you family members, take this home and over lunch today, maybe as a family you fill this out and you put it somewhere saying, we're going to be committed to pray and carry the pallet of some lost friends who don't know Jesus yet. We're going to pray for them. We're going to put it in a place where we remember to pray. And let me give you an opportunity that um, on March 16th this year, I'm going to, it's Palm Sunday, 316, and guess what I'm going to preach on, on 316? John 316, okay? And what I'm going to ask you to do is bring your friends that don't know Jesus. Invite them. Invite them. And listen, I'm terrified too, and I'm a preacher. Uh, do, 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 do you want to go, go to church? Church, uh, you know, it's, it's, they got some good singing. Uh, it's only like, well, sometimes it's an hour and 15, but a lot of times longer than that. But it's a, uh, um, would you commit to pray for these people, if nothing else, and ask God to give you the boldness to invite them? And let me tell you a great week. Invite them any week, I mean, because we want to authentically present Jesus every week. But a great week will be on the 16th. And I'm going to be uh, open up God's word in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, unbelievable, that he would send his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you have any friends that need to hear that? Anybody in your family? Anybody, any workmates? Would you bring them? 
Okay. We got to get to communion because the Spirit of God is here to feed us. But we can't until we understand ultimately that Jesus himself got on the pallet of the cross. You see, this is an incredible story of love. It's an incredible story of love of four friends that would love a one that was scorned, that had shame and had brokenness, enough to go. And it's an incredible story of love that they would, they would risk, and they did risk. And listen, you're going to risk by inviting some of your friends and neighbors and family members. But I bet most of you will not open up a roof to do it. But listen, listen, listen to what the God the Father did to risk. He didn't open up a roof, he opened up heaven. And he sent his son. And he sent his son to earth and basically placed him on a pallet called a cross and broke him. Pierced him and broke him so paralytics like us can be cleansed and healed. So he could say to us, your sins really are forgiven. Pick up your bed, pick up your mat, pick up your pallet and come home. I've untied the the rope. The shame is done away with. You're mine. You're beloved. The only way he could do that and say your sins are forgiven is that cross of Christ. Have you embraced him as your savior? Do you know that healing? Have you been set free? If you have, he gives us this meal to come and feed us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the fact that he would come and get on the pallet of a cross, unable because of nails that have pierced him to move, but all because of a father's love and all for the power of a son to be able to say, your sins are forgiven. And I'm a paralytic that's been set free and the rope has been untied and the shame has been dealt with and I've run to the family by your grace. And Father, I thank you for the the multitude here that is yours. Father, I pray... I pray for the one who is yet to realize that truthfully, because of their sin, they're still on that pallet. Jesus, touch their heart today. Forgive their sins today. May they acknowledge you and have faith in you so that you can be pleased and see their faith that you have given to them and say your sins are forgiven. Father, would you come and feed us and would you remind us as we look at this bread and this this wine as the reminder of Jesus being broken so that we can be healed. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the elders come forward, would you take a few moments and just prepare your hearts to be fed by the one who was broken for you.